as we continue on in this uh, series, The Empowered Church, and that's just what we sang of, that that's our, our desire that he would uh, build his church. He said he would do that. He's going to. I want you to notice as I uh, read this particular passage how very honest it is. And if anything, what that should do is continue to affirm that this is the truth, this is the Word of God, because if, if mere men were m- coming up with a story about the beginning of a, a church or something like that, the tendency would be to leave out things that might shine in a negative light, at least initially, or things that might look petty, for instance. You know, well, let's just leave that out. It's not that necessary. And yet, uh, God saw fit to even bring to light this little squabble they were having that He used in order to form His church and to mold His church and even mold our churches today. Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will approach, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, uh, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that you saw fit to preserve, this historic event with real people that you used to build your church. Sinners all. And yet, if anything, that gives us encouragement because we are just in that category. Will you teach us from this? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you got an opportunity last week to uh, look at the various parts of the church. And if you uh, got down into the office area, um, we just have wonderful offices and I was sitting in my study early one morning. Nobody else was here. 
and uh, I saw walking across my new office floor a big cockroach, a big one. <laughs> I, think, I think I heard footsteps first. It was... A, And my first thought was, well, you've got a lot of nerve here in our new offices. But he was literally walking towards me. And so I did what any of us would do. I jumped up and I went to step on him. He, was, he, he had walked out very slowly. Almost proudly, it looked to me like, <laughs> defiantly, you know. And when I went to step on him, he, I missed. I, I realized he was faster than me, but because I take longer strides, I was able to get him on the next step. And that ended his life. <laughs> now, I tell you this for this reason. Satan is like a cockroach. You know, it's rather easy when he comes at us defiantly. When he, he comes out into the open. You know, most roaches, you turn on the light and they scamper and they, you know, they, they get out of the way. And yet this one was so different. Satan usually does not, however, come at us defiantly from the front. When he does, we know that we've got the weapons. He may be quick, but we have the weapons to defeat him. But it's his ordinary way, which is the cowardly way, and that is to attack the church in various ways, sneaky ways, behind the scenes, with the lights off. And even in this passage, as we'll see in a moment, we see another attack of Satan. Might not have even been evident to you when you first read it. Now let's look at what, what was going on here. What we see, first of all, verse 1, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What we see is the, the spiritual and living church still has physical needs. You know, for at, at no point should we as a church become so spiritually minded that we forget God put us in a very real world and people have very real needs in addition to spiritual needs. The early church saw that. They were dealing with it with a, a daily food distribution. Uh, now, this was especially for those that had no other source. That would be the case uh, many times of widows if they didn't have family or their family just had enough for themselves and couldn't provide for them. So that's what was taking place. There were two kinds uh, mentioned here, and it's basically two kinds of, 
of Jews that were here, the Grecian, the Greeks, and the Hebrew-speaking. Now, the Greeks were accusing the Hebrews of partiality. (laughs) Racism. That's what they were saying, in essence. You know, our, our widows aren't being taken care of, and it's because we're Greek. You're somehow looking down on us because of that. Now, there could have been some of that. I, I would never rule that out. That is a, a sin that, you know, that, that people uh, wrestle with and have down through the ages. But there was another problem that, that was also very prevalent here that even those who were concerned didn't, didn't realize might have been the bigger problem, and that is that the church was growing so quickly. All of a sudden, instead of just a, a small group to distribute the alms to, it was, it was one thing when there was maybe 120 of them, the 12 could easily distribute to those who were in need. But then quickly there's 3,000. Then there's 5,000. Then it says there's more and more. And the Lord's adding to their number. The apostles realize we can't take care of this. We've, we've got things that God has called us to do. And what He's called us to do is going to be ignored if we try to do this distribution. What we see here is that they, they were determined, though, to take care of physical needs as well. Now, we believe that here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. You can see that reflected in, the, in uh, our missions that we support, particularly our local missions. And what you will see is you will see a balance. That's what we're striving after anyway. A balance between our missions that are specifically word-focused, gospel-focused. Now, all of them have that as their framework, but some of them are more mercy-oriented and some are more teaching-focused. or uh, For instance, our school-time Bible is an outreach to our community. It is word-focused, the Word of God and so on. But we also support, uh, for instance, Daybreak Ministries, Sharing God's Love, Happy Wheels, those ministries where they are especially oriented toward meeting physical needs for those who are in need and doing it in the name of Christ. We try to strike a balance there. And in our vision 2017 statement under outreach. Right after talking about sharing the gospel, we say this, we will also be involved in ministries of mercy in the name of Christ as deeds ministries, in other words, works ministries, to complement our words. We think that's the right balance, that we should always be distributing, as it were, the, the words of truth, the gospel, But to many, what affirms that is caring for them physically as well. And we see those going together. Now, we need to understand, verse 2, that taking care of physical needs should not take away from the ministry of the Word of God. In other words, doing one should not diminish the other. 
It says in verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now here's where we see the balance set forth. They aren't saying or implying that the food distribution was a bad thing. They were saying, in fact, it is so important that we've got to figure out a way to continue to do it, but it can't be to the diminishment of us sharing the Word of God. See, that's always been the struggle. There have been uh, churches that have been great in the mercy and social gospel end of things, but they tended to forget the gospel. Then there have been those that have been word-centered, but they forgot we're dealing with very real people with very real needs. And so what we see here is them striking a balance, which is what we should always be aiming at as well. Now, I told you that uh, I see this as an attack from Satan. We've been looking at these uh, uh, throughout the book so far, and we will continue to see the various kinds of uh, attacks. First, we, we saw out-and-out persecution. Then we saw, uh, you know, so an attack from the outside, Satan, you know, encouraging that to stamp out the church. Frontal attack. Didn't work. Then we see the internal attack. Hypocrisy, Ananias and Sapphira. The internal attack, again, from Satan, would love to distract. I believe here we have another attack. And of these three, it may be the most subtle. And that is using believers and the arguments among them, the squabbling, to try to distract from the preaching of the Word in prayer. Wouldn't that have been a victory for Satan had he been able to convince the apostles, yes, that's more important. That's what everybody's saying. That's what people appreciate. Okay, let's spend our time doing that. We will get to prayer and the Word. But instead, thanks be to God that He gave the apostles His wisdom in this, that they recognized the danger of falling into that trap and they dealt with it in a godly way. Look what takes place. Verses 3 and 4, we see the living church needs those whose special focus is on physical needs. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, that wasn't in any pompous way. It wasn't a holier than thou. It was, this is what God has called us to. We must pursue this. But we cannot ignore the needs of of our people. The solution to the problem, according to the apostles, would have been that we need some in the church whose primary focus is going to be to make sure that distribution takes place, make sure those needs are met among our people. After all, that was a part of their witness 
as well. Now, I want to hasten to say that it was never the intention of the apostles that those who take care of the physical needs, that they also ignore the Word any more than to say you know, the apostles' uh, intention was, well, well, we'll go over here and pray and, and preach the Word, but you know, we're, we won't be getting our hands dirty over there. It wasn't that at all. We're talking about primary focus. And what we will see is even among these who were called to do the distribution, these first deacons, what do you see? What's their qualification? Those that are full of the Spirit. And then we see two of them, one of them, Stephen, we'll see very soon preaching a powerful sermon. Cost him his life. We'll see Philip sharing the gospel. And so those are always included in there. And it was never to be either or. We will do this or we will do that. Both need to be married together. I want to say this too uh, in terms of the office of deacon because this is really where we base our office of, of deacon upon. Uh, and we, we in this church, if you're visiting with us, we have elders and we have deacons. And our deacons, are uh, that's their primary focus. But we also need to understand that the office of deacon was never a, a secondary office. It wasn't uh, uh, for those that are less qualified in some way. Not at all. It's not a second-class office. I've seen some, you know, the other thing it's not is it's not an automatic stepping stone to become an elder. You know, I'll, I'll become a deacon, and then, you know, if, if I'm a good deacon, maybe someday I can be an elder, you know, work my way up the ladder. Some look at it that way. It ought not to be looked at that way. I have seen in my ministry many who began as deacons. I was, that, I was a deacon when I was a, a young man first. And, uh, you know, it's an office of service, and it, it teaches that. And I've seen some who first were deacons and then later were called into the office of elder, and they did a wonderful job. But then I've also seen some who were fine and wonderful deacons who were nominated to be elders and then even elected as elders, and they just weren't real effective as elders because it wasn't their primary calling. And I have seen the more mature ones go back to being a deacon and say, this is my calling. This is where I need to be. And it's a wonderful way to look at it. Now, in this passage, we see also, and this is just, now we're going to kind of step into uh, a church government class just, just for a, a minute here, and that is that uh, these officers should be affirmed by the people. Uh, verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. You know, we have a whole process in terms of putting names in and, and uh, them going through uh, training and that kind of a thing, and then we vote. And that is the congregation, God using the congregation to affirm uh, a position. And this is one of the first elements that office holders are chosen by the people. 
Now, if ever there would have been a time when you would think it would be appropriate, you know, here you were starting the, the church that other churches will be patterned after, but in this church, you've got apostles who are leading the church. If ever there was a time, you would think, when the apostles could just say, okay, look, we're the apostles, we'll appoint them, in the future you elect them, or something like that. Wasn't that way. Here, even with the apostles, you choose from among yourselves. Here are the qualifications. Choose them from among yourselves. And by the way, if you ever find yourself in a church where only the officers are appointing those who will be officers or where the pastor is appointing the officers and it's not the congregation, run the other way. It's not biblical. It is not what the Word of God tells us to do. It says in, in uh, verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose. And then it lists the names Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and so on. And by the way, you see what you see represented there. Some of those names that I couldn't pronounce, those were some of the Greeks among them. How wise was that, that they had everyone represented, the Greeks, the, the Grecian Jews, and the, those from Israel. And then we see that a, a focus on serving should lead to growth in the church. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see what happened? Here's, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's why he put this right here, why God saw fit to say this, because this is a result that the church is experiencing. Because of the servanthood of the deacons, because they were doing their job, the apostles, the elders in essence, were able and freed up to do their job. And because both were doing their job, the church was thriving. Different callings, not one better than the other, not one more important than the other, simply different. It wasn't an either-or, it was both. Now, notice my title of the message, uh, Deacons One and All. What in the world? <laughs> Obviously, I'm not talking about uh, everyone in here becoming an ordained deacon or even called by the official office. But it is a reference to all of us being called to this function to servanthood. Let me explain. By the way, there's a couple of, of advantages to, to this, to, to servanthood. If um, these are things that you, you gain when you serve, one is it will help you feel more a part of the church. If you ever find yourself saying, I, I just don't feel like I'm very connected at the church. Begin serving. I've heard very few people through the years 
who have been serving who said that. Because all of a sudden you've invested and you're using your gifts like the Bible tells us all of us are to do. And then secondly, you'll probably become more satisfied with the church as well. I've heard fewer people who were serving faithfully and regularly who were also complaining about the church. goes back to the old, uh, the old saying, you know, it's not, the one, it's not the ones in the boat that are rowing that stand up and rock the boat. <laughs> you know, they're too busy rowing. And that tends to be the case. You know, we tend to be more satisfied when we are following the calling from God. But we always have to ask ourselves from every passage, what do we learn here about Jesus? Where is the Lord in all of this? And I want to tell you, those last two things I told you are important. They're very practical. But ultimately, our motivation for serving is that Jesus was first and foremost served as the perfect deacon. I could say that about elder too. The root word translated deacon is servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Greatness to the word is being on Top of the pyramid, that's what our, our world tells us. But in, in the kingdom, it's different. Jesus showed us that, didn't he? He showed us what a deacon, a true servant would do when he was about to be crucified. He needed to illustrate. And so he removed his outer cloak put a towel around him, and kneeled down in front of some flawed people who had dirty feet. And he washed them. Peter objected, of course. Good old Peter. No, you, you'll not wash my feet. Jesus continued on. Of course, Peter didn't say, let me do it. He just didn't want the king of kings to do it. He saw what he thought was an incongruity. Jesus was showing, no, this is why I came. And he knelt before Galilean fishermen and performed a servant's task. He showed us what servanthood is. It worked. Not just in the early church that we've read about today, the church growing because of servanthood. A hundred years later, let me read to you a letter that was written about Christians. It says, if any of them have bond women or children, 
they persuade them to become Christians for the love they have toward them. And when they become so, they call them brother without distinction. They love one another. They rescue the orphan from one another, uh, from uh, one who does him violence. He who has gives ungrudgingly to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they take him into their dwellings and rejoice over him as over a real brother. If any among them is poor and needy and they do not have food to spare, listen to this, they fast two or three days that they may supply him with necessary food. But the deeds which they do, they do not proclaim to the ears of the multitude, but they take care that no man shall perceive them. Truly, this is a new people, and there is something divine in them. People around them, whether they understood it or not, saw, as they described it, something divine in them. We're seeing something of God when we see how they treat one another. And they were. It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in these people that they saw that revealed to them the divine in them. And God used that to bear witness. It worked not only in the early church and a hundred years also, uh, later also it works today. In a day when the government seems to be the hope of so many, how unique would we be to bear the burdens of those around us with dirty feet and to kneel in front of them and wash them because our Lord Jesus did it before us. William Cooper, in making this statement, was talking about prayer. He said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. I suspect that Satan also trembles when he sees we weak saints upon our knees serving those who are in need. May we be that church. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to be first and foremost always followers of the one who went to the cross for us. who kneeled before people like us and washed their feet. And Lord, will you always help us to keep the balance of the power of the Word of God and the glory of the Gospel with showing the glory of the Gospel with hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.